All right, so we are in week 12, which is fun to say, of our teaching series about Jesus, which is also fun to say, uh, because we're talking about Jesus at church. I don't know. Seems a little, yeah, normal. Um, and so we're talking about Jesus, how he changed everything about everything. And this morning, I want to talk, I want to begin this kind of message talking about memory. And some of us have good memories, some of us have bad. When I say memories, I mean like the ability to remember. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can, some of you can remember things and some of you can't, right? And uh, like some of you remember everybody's birthday and some of you never remember anybody's birthday. You know what I'm talking about? My wife can remember what she and I both wore 15 years ago on a date. And I'm like, I can barely remember what I wore last week on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like I do, last night I literally said, did I wear this shirt last week? And I couldn't remember. Um, and some of us have good, how many of you feel like you have a good memory? Like you can remember things. How many of you feel like you have a bad memory? Some of you, okay. Most of you feel like you have a bad memory. This is, so pretty much what we do here every week, in one ear, out the other. It doesn't matter what we're doing. I could say anything right now and you won't remember it. Here, <laughs> this is my life. All right, here's what I should do. Real quick, let's put this to the test. Tell the person next to you what you wore last Sunday. Go ahead, tell them right now. Tell them next time what you wore a week ago today. <clears throat> how many of you, how many of you remember what you wore last Sunday? How many of you remember? How many of you cannot remember what you were last Sunday? <clears throat> wow. <laughs> we, got some, we got some issues in here today. It's been seven days, people. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was recently listening to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. Anybody listen to that? Anybody? Yeah. Some of you are like, I, don't, I can't remember. Maybe. Um, anyway, uh, he has a few episodes in this season about memory. And that's not really what sparked this, this, this message, but it, I recalled it, of course, as I started preparing it. And there's a few episodes that are about it, which are very fascinating. And, and one of the things that's absolutely true, scientifically true, is that we obviously forget way more than we remember. We all really know that. But here's what was very interesting, is the things, the memories that you do have, the things that you know that are true, the things that you are like absolutely truth, I, I know every detail of that moment. It was a flashbulb memory. You know, I, it, it took a picture of that in my mind. Scientific study shows that even the things you are absolutely certain of in your memory are usually not all that accurate. We usually don't remember even the things we think we remember, which means you, you may think you remember what you were last week, but you probably are wearing the same thing you were last week. <laughs> we don't remember as much as we think we do, and... Uh, so anyway, I thought that was an interesting kind of way to walk into this. And Second Peter, there's a really interesting line that I absolutely like, just kind of fell over with. And it says, Second Peter 2.12, and Peter says this. He says, I think it is right for me to refresh your memory. And I just thought, yes, please, Peter, do this for me, because I don't remember much. And we're going to get into those words in a little bit. Um, we'll come back around to Second Peter and get into what he's talking about, but I don't really have a clean, neat category to put today's message in, um, but it is about your soul. Uh, it is about 
the passion that we ought to live with. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about passion and purpose. Um, and today, uh, really what that was about, by the way, is, is that we want to be, I really felt like the Lord has just put this idea of passion back in my heart lately, and that Jesus needs to be our passion before our purpose, right? Like, that's, that's a big deal. Like, that, how do we make, and for a lot of us, we see Jesus as like, like this, this job we got to go do, like we got to go fulfill the Great Commission or whatever, like it's as if it's our purpose is what is primary, but it's really our passion that's primary, which is what we talked about last week. Uh, and so I wanted to keep exploring that. So this is sort of week two of passion, if you will, but um, we're always talking, hopefully, about passion to some degree. But uh, I want to take us to Ephesians 3. We'll start there. We're going to kind of work our way through some thoughts um, and going to some scriptures that, of course, are about centered on and anchored in Christ and who Jesus was and his message and his, his story and, his, of course, his kingdom. But Paul is writing in Ephesians 3, and he's writing about this amazing reality of God and how, and, and when he's writing, it's almost like it starts to just pour out of him this passion and this zeal that he has uh, at the amazing gift we have in Jesus. And, 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 he, and I think... Why he's writing it is because we often forget and we normalize the gift we have in Jesus, right? We, we often sort of forget this. And Paul is overwhelmed. It's like it's so intense in him. It's like in his bones, so deep, it just breaks into this doxology that we read in Ephesians 3. And these, these are just some of the greatest words that many of us have heard many times. But um, this is what he says. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. That's us, right? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So we can just stick on that for the rest of the day. But because I actually taught this passage earlier this year, I'm just going to move, okay? Because I'm going to assume you remembered everything we talked about. <laughs> Then he concludes with this incredible benediction. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now these words, once again, these are Paul's words just like pouring out of him. Out of, and I really do feel like this, I can just imagine him writing this, all this passion pouring out of him. And he's talking about how God, he's able to do more than we imagine. That, that our God is able, and what I love about it, he, he's trying to express this. And he's like, how able is our God? Well, he's able to do what you ask, but that's not enough. He's able to do more than you ask, but that's not enough. He's able to do more than you ask or imagine, but that's not enough. He's able to do more than all that you ask or imagine, but that's not enough. He's able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. It's like, he's just like, you do not understand how able your God is. And before we go any further, I mean, I just even in that statement, I, I, that you have a God who's able to do immeasurably more. I know that there's circumstances. I know there's situations that seem impossible in front of some of us. There are things going on in life right now that for some of you, you're like, there's no way this is ever going to change. But I have to take you to this verse and say, no, no, no. 
you have a God who is more than able to do more, immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. So whatever you're facing in life, no matter what hardship, struggle, or pain that you have in front of you, I hope you cling to this today and remember this today, that you have a God who's able. I was reading this, uh, John 3, this week and came upon this kind of this truth about this ability of God, and I, and I, and I literally stopped and worshiped God when I read this verse in John 3. It's in verse 34. It says, For the one whom God has sent, who did God send? Jesus. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. You're like, well, what's so staggering about that? Well, listen, God sends the Son and he gives him the Spirit without limit. The limitless Spirit is in Jesus, which is mind-boggling. And the Spirit without limit inside Jesus pours out on us, right? And all things have been placed in the hands of Jesus. Remember, we're talking a little bit about God is able. First, or, excuse me, Colossians 1.17 says, He was before all things, and all things he holds together. So Jesus is in control is what we're, what we're saying here. So whatever, whatever that thing is in your life that feels out of control, like, I, it's like this is when you like sing out, you know, like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus, you're in control. Like Jesus, all things have been placed in his hands. He's in control. And, and I think even though that's, this is not what the message is about today, I, like, I feel like we need to begin here because we're about to get into this whole idea of, let me refresh your memory on some things. And it begins with this reality that not only we have a God who's able, but by the way, that John 3 verse, I don't know if you caught it, is it still up there? Can you put that back up there? What I love about that verse is it says, God the Father sent the Son, and the Son has the Spirit that's limitless in him. He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in this one little verse, that all those things, they're working together for the sake of our eternity, is what that verse goes on to say. And here's what I love about it, too, is that means, that means you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit on your side. You have the entire Trinity with you, and he is with you, and he is for you. You have a God who is able, not only in this idea of God, but a Father, Son, and Spirit that is limitless. So I was thinking about this reality about our God, and it reminds me of the passage we talked about last week. Uh, do you guys remember? <laughs> uh, I can make this joke all day. Mark 12, and it's this, again, this is like classic church verse, right? What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your passion, with all your intelligence, with all your prayers, and with all your energy, right? This is what he says. And he says this, and you know what I love about that verse is Jesus isn't telling us anything that he hasn't already done. He's not telling us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He's not only with the relationship with the Father that he's done this, but in relationship to you and me, that you could say that Jesus loves you and me with all of his heart, with all of his soul, mind, and strength. You could say that he has obviously proven such, which I love. So, what if every day my mind was filled with the love that I have for God and, more importantly, the love that he has for me? And so, we're a little bit all over the map, but think about this. The distinction between the width, the height, the depth, and the length of God's love. The distinction between that kind of love that he has and the kind of love that I have is <laughs> pretty wide. 
And when I, when I think about that, when I try and grasp this and I try and face that reality, it's kind of, it's kind of like I start to come to grips with something that I forgot. The height and depth and width and length of God's love for me, that is so vastly different than the kind of love that I have. Oh, that he's limitless. All things are in his hands. He's in control. Oh, 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 and he's able to do more than I ask or imagine. Like, I don't live with that filling my mind every day. It's like I forget it. And I go, oh, gosh. And I start feeling like he isn't limitless, like I can't, con- like the things that are out of my control, I don't have someone I can turn to. Like, God isn't for, are you with me? Are you with me? So let's go to 2 Peter, which is where we're spending the rest of our time. 2 Peter chapter 2, as we have this conversation about passion, Peter's words are really, really, really good. And uh, Now, he gives us these words right before he dies, by the way. He's not dead yet. He's not dead yet. <laughs> Princess Bride, anybody? <laughs> He's about to die. And he says, I want you to know these things. Verse number 12. So I will always remind you of these things. Now, we're in verse 12. I'm going to back up to verse 3 in a minute. So he's actually already reminded us of the things, but I'm starting at the end, and then we're going back. It's one of those things. So I will always remind you, remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. And then here's my favorite verse, verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory. <laughs> I don't know. I just love it as long as I live in the tent of this body. So he has such, he's such great use of words here, doesn't he? Since as I live in the tent of this body, so he's not even seeing like, it's just, it's just, this is not me. This is just flesh, right? This is the tent. So as long as I live, because I know that I will soon put it aside. Now, just so you know, when he says it, he means the tent, which is his body, right? We know this. And, uh, and this is his earthly body, he doesn't even consider death, death, because he just figures he's going on to the next thing that God has for him. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, so Jesus has given him some sort of clarity that he is going to die soon. In fact, the very, very last encounter Jesus had with Peter, Peter heard from Jesus what his coming death would be like. And so, anyway, we'll get into that in a second. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. He is very concerned we're going to forget. He is like, I'm going to remind you of these things, I'm going to refresh your memory, and I'm going to make sure you will not forget, you will remember these things. Now, from ancient history, we know a few things about, about Peter and his death, because again, he's about to die, and Peter would indeed die for, what, for his faith in Jesus and what he was doing for Jesus. And, and it made, Jesus had made clear to him that he would die a death um, by stretching his arms out and suffering, all this kind of stuff. And it was the death of crucifixion. And, and we learn from historical documentation that Peter was indeed crucified and that he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. So a lot of you know that he was crucified upside down uh, because he didn't want to die in the same fashion as Lord Jesus did, right? And so the passion that the early followers had, the early disciples had, the passion that we can read about, uh, it was a passion that was like a liver it was like a life or death type of faith, right? This was the kind of passion they lived with. 
And, and I think we know that, we're aware of it, but I think, again, I'm just, I'm reminding us of a few things that we've probably heard before. But did you know, we know that Peter died by crucifixion upside down. We also know a few, how a few of the other disciples died. And there's a lot of things out there that we don't know about how that died. But it is believed that all the disciples, with the exception of John, died and were martyred for their faith. John was sent into exile on an island, by the way, after being dipped into boiling oil and coming out flawless. I don't know, just saying. Um, Stephen, of course, was stoned to death by preaching the good news of Jesus. Um, Thomas went as far as India, where it's believed he was killed after many years of successful ministry in India. Matthew traveled to Ethiopia, all over the region of Persia. It's believed he was martyred in Persia, being stabbed to death. James was beheaded by King Herod. It's believed that Philip and Simon were also crucified in unusual and cruel ways. And then, of course, it's well documented that Paul was beheaded by the Emperor Nero in Rome. So we read in the scriptures about a faith in Jesus that just honestly just required more. Didn't it? It meant more. And there are places in the world today that faith in Jesus requires more. It means more. We, steer, we, we hear stories in the news today, don't we, about people and their faith in Jesus, how it's created all sorts of hardships for them. Some of them, of course, being kidnapped or tortured or banished from their families, and of course, many, many dying because they profess Jesus as Lord. I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's a pastor in Denver, and they were reaching out to an uh, unreached people group in the country of Nepal, in the area of Nepal, and they're going into these mountains, and they're reaching out to these people, and it has to be very secretive. And, and he says, you know, they're seeing people come to know Jesus and profess and see the power of God released in their life, and it's been a really, really amazing thing. He said, but it's also a really, really scary thing because in that region of the world, people profess Christ. Well, not only are they banished, some of them are dying because of their faith. So this is a very real thing today. We know it is, but I think we forget. Forget. We live like Jesus is just part of our life here. He's a privilege. He's a freedom in the Western world. Oh, we're free to worship Jesus. And we can never forget what the Bible actually teaches us. What does the Bible teach us? It teaches us about Jesus who gave everything for us and a group of followers that gave everything for him. You understand that? It teaches us about Jesus who gave everything for us and a group of followers who gave everything for him. That's what it teaches us. That's the story of the New Testament. So Peter's pretty serious. <laughs> These final parting words, let me refresh your memory. Verse number three, we're going to back up. Remember I said we started at verse 12, now we're going back to verse three. And these are some of the things he's reminding them of. You're like, man, you've already reminded us a lot. I know, but there's more. His divine power has given us everything. We, <laughs> this is so good. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I mean, we can, again, we can stop right here, right? He has given us everything we need for a godly life. You know what you, you, know what you call that? You call it good news. Like, you call it good news. He's given you everything you need for a godly life. You're like, hold on, hold on. You don't mean I don't need that? Nope, nope. 
You mean all I need is Jesus? Yep. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I understand I'm a person that lives in want. I live in want all the time. I want more. Is anybody with me? <laughs> but what does, going all the way back to the Old Testament, what does what is Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And here he's saying what? He's saying the Lord has given you everything you need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse number four, he says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. I mean, there's 77 of those we could talk about, but we'll do that another time. No, let's just do that now. 70, <laughs> so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Okay, that's, a, that's like, what does all that mean? We have the privilege and honor to be part of the work of God in this world, right? To participate in the divine nature of God. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, you ever think about that? That you've escaped evil corruption in the world through the grace of Jesus. How good is he, right? How loving is he? We don't, we don't deserve to be pardoned and forgiven, but he does it. And then he would go on in verse 5. So for this very reason, because you are a part of the God's work, because you've been, you've been escaped, you've escaped this evil corruption, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. This, this is ridiculous, is what this is. This is one of those passages that if you let it sink in, it's, it's just, it's like you almost want to break out in doxology, right? It, like, it gets into your bones and you're like, if I really want this, it's going to do something in me. He says, add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, We'll get into that in a minute. But Peter, Peter's final words, his final words, all these things that he doesn't want the believers to forget. He says, I want you to possess these things in increasing measure. So the, the little bit of the test here, not that this is a test today, is are you increasing in measure in these things? Are you increasing in, for example, godliness? How is God transforming you? You know, one of the things I've learned over the years, I mean, I'm, I'm an aging man and losing my memory. I'm like 40 almost, almost. <clears throat> is that the more energy and effort I put into something, this is going to blow your mind, the more my capacity grows in that area, right? The more energy and effort I put into, whether it be a sport or a craft or mowing the yard, the, the, the greater my capacity grows and not only the how-tos, but the the ways to really do it well and to live it well. You know, we're about to start teaching my daughter Emily how to drive. She's 15 years old, got her permit. And she and I are going to spend a lot of effort and energy in learning how to drive over the next number of months so she will live when I'm not in the car, right? And here's the thing. Whenever we spend all that effort and energy, she's going to learn in her capacity to drive. And then when she's 16, I'll hand her the keys to our minivan and she'll be set. <laughs> you think I'm joking? 
where our energy goes is where we grow, where we are transformed, and where we see increase in our life. What does Peter say? Yeah, it's still up there. Last verse. What does Peter say will happen if we aren't increasing? We will be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's called no bueno. That's not good. <laughs> you, know, you know the biggest knocks, one of the biggest knocks in the church in our culture today, especially in America, is that we are ineffective and unproductive. Now, I think it's a little bit unfair because I think the church has done a pretty good job over the centuries due to the power of God. We've kind of lasted through a lot of things and grown. So I'm not one of those, you know, defeatists. Nonetheless, I will take the criticism that there is some ineffectiveness and some unproductivity within the church. And I always say, but what does that mean? It means that, sure, there's a leadership issue, sure, there's this, but for you and me today, we can ask the question, am I ineffective and unproductive? Am I? So this question for us should be, are we possessing these qualities in increasing measure? Moving through these rather quickly, but stay with me. Verse number nine. <clears throat> We're talking about passion, I thought. Well, we are. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Here we go with that memory thing. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I, I've already been saying it. Like, Peter's bringing it, just so you know. Because these are his final words. So if you aren't living with these qualities, you're forgetting what you've been cleansed of. This is what he's saying. So what this means is, if you claim to be a Jesus follower, you can never forget what he's done for us. Obviously, let me refresh your memory. We were sinners, yet Christ died for us. I don't think we always live with that active memory. We will acknowledge our sin, but I don't think we really grasp the the gravity of it. Not to get too technical, but I mean, if we added up the totality of our sin over the course of our life, it's a number that we would not like to think about, would it? The, the amount of um, rebellion against the Lord is quite staggering, and yet Jesus came and he wiped it all away clean. Here's the thing. We are remade, reborn, renewed. We are power washed by the blood of Jesus. And we cannot ever, ever forget that. Are you with me? Are you with me? Because when we do, Peter says it's like we are blind and nearsighted. It's like forgetting something that's obvious. You understand, like when we forget it, like he's saying you, you have totally lost sight of reality. It's like forgetting something that's obvious. It's like forgetting that even though you can't see the wind... <laughs> Right? You can't see the wind, but you, so you forget it exists, and, yet we, and then we ignore the impact of the wind. You understand that? Like, like, that's like so many times we, we see, we, we can't really see, or we forget, excuse me, the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. And just because we don't always see it doesn't mean it doesn't impact the world around us. Just because we don't see the, see the impact, we forget the impact of the Spirit. But yet, it's impacting the world around us. Maybe we need to see things differently. Can you imagine if the world uh, didn't have any wind? 
Just the stagnant, thick, stale air. Water never being stirred up. The world lacks movement. Clouds never move. Storms never break. You know what the wind brings, right? It brings movement. It brings in freshness and coolness. It stirs things up. It breaks up storms. And what is the Spirit of God often referred to in the Scriptures? Is the wind, right? The wind of God, the Spirit of God comes in like a rushing wind is what it says. And the Spirit creates movement and makes sure we're stirred up. It's never stagnant or stale. Maybe what I'm saying today is your life needs a fresh burst of the Spirit of God. A fresh wind reminding you of what Jesus has done. Reminding you of all that God has done and how much he really loves you. Because this is, this is really good. What I'm saying today is such, this is like absolutely great news. He's given you everything you need for a godly life. Are you kidding me? He's able? What? I mean, like, we could just, what we're saying today, and I'm about done, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but, a, <laughs> but I think a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom is a pretty worthy endeavor, isn't it? It's a pretty worthy life, sort of a life worth having. So there's all sorts of things we can end with here. We just threw out so many different things. But let me ask you, how are you doing in increasing your measure in faith, of faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, good, godliness, mutual affection, and love? I mean, that's a lot of things, so let me just kind of change it up a little bit. How are you doing in increasing your passion? That's what it is, right? How are you doing at increasing your passion for the Lord? That's what we're talking about. Perhaps the things that we're putting our energy into into this world, the things that we actually are growing in and being transformed by, maybe, there's, maybe that's where the tweak is. Maybe that's where the change is. Maybe our energy and our effort is going into the things that, although they may have some measure of worth, you're giving way too much energy and effort into some things and not enough into others. You know, God... <clears throat> He's not only able, but I believe he wants you to hear today that he's able to take your life and do well beyond whatever you, whatever you imagine. I think he wants you to hear that today. And so when I talk about passion and purpose, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about yes and no. And the idea, how do you say yes and no? How do you determine the things you say yes and no to in life? And all that has to do with purpose and it has to do with the things that you do in this life. And then last week we talked about, no, no, no. Now, what we do is really important, our purpose, but there's something even more important because it's the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your passion, right? And this idea, right, of who we are becoming, this idea of living with passion. The reason, the reason I even bring it up and the reason we want to talk about it, because listen, passion is not like this cool, trendy, hip word. Like, it's been around. Everybody knows the word. But we forget. We forget that, oh, 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 passion means I'm actually putting effort and energy into this and I'm being transformed and I'm growing. 
I'm growing. Oh, what, what are we going in? Let me refresh your memory. We are growing in our faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. What if you began by just seeking him more than you've ever seek, sought him before? Maybe, maybe in a different way. Maybe you just changed up your life this week and said, I'm going to put a different energy and effort. I'm going to make a tweak. I'm going to make a degree of change, and I'm going to change the way I spend my energy this week. What if you started praying things you never prayed before? What if you prayed, oh, what if you prayed for revival to begin in your life? We always pray for revival to begin in the city. <laughs> How about it begins in, in you and in me? How about it begins in your home, right? Like, what if revival just broke out in your home? You're like, oh my gosh, we're having revival in here. <laughs> That's fun. But I'm saying, like, what if it did? What would it look like? What if you and your home, like God was breaking free, like it was set loose, like breakthroughs coming, healings happening, new reality is being ushered in. What if that happened? Listen, when I read this book, I do not read the life that we're living right now. I read something else that I go, Lord, I have to figure this out. Because what I read is about a story of God sending his son, Jesus, to give everything for us. And a group of people saying, I'm going to give everything for you. This message is remind, it's, it's, it's aimed at reminding you how good our God is, how good and amazing the love of Jesus is, how, how high and wide and deep and long his love is. And, that all things are in his hands and he's in control. I mean, gosh, can, can I say this? It's good news, right? The spirit is limitless in Jesus. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget, don't forget how much he's forgiven you of. Don't forget what it means to follow him. It's a life of passion, a life where we give it all for him, a life of increasing measures of faith. I want us to and I would say this, and I think you agree, I can say this for all of us. I think we want to grow and crave more of Jesus in our life. To have a deeper passion for him. I would think for those of us in this room that, that, that follow Jesus, that's what we want. We want to hunger and thirst, as the scriptures say. Be by your heads. Would just encourage us right now that we just start <laughs> hope we just start praying for immeasurably more what if we took all the things that God has spoken to us and we, we said okay God I'm going to start going through these one at a time start trying to live them Father, I want to pray right now. I want to pray for each and every one of us. I want to pray for your spirit that is limitless to have freedom in this room as it, we know it does, but Lord, um, Lord, you look for tender hearts. You look for open hearts. As your scripture says that your eyes are always ranging the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully yielded to you, Father, that Father, you're looking for people who are pausing and stopping and waiting on you 
so that you, as your scripture says, you can give them strength. So Father, I pray right now we are paused and we are yielded to you. That your spirit would come in and do its work. I want to pray for any person in this room and, and you can just listen right now. If there's anybody in this room that you'd say, you know what I need? I just need Jesus in my life. I, I've said no to God for a long time and I need to say yes to him and today's the day I need to just, I just need to get all this behind me. I need my life to be his. I need to give my life to Jesus. And, and I say this often, but if, if that's you today, I, don't wait. Don't wait any longer. Like step into the love of Jesus. He loves you so much. We just talked about it. He, he is for you. He is with you. And if you've been fighting some sort of fear to step into his love, I pray courage right now for you. If you've been fighting some sort of uncertainty, I pray clarity right now. If you've been, if you've been fighting with some sort of what are they going to think, I pray that, Lord, that right now you would just have the spirit of boldness to say, you know what? I will declare that Jesus is Lord of all. I believe is who he said he was. I'm going to receive his forgiveness today. If that's, that's you today, in a moment I'm going to be standing over to the side of the stage and there's going to be people coming and praying. If you want to come, you want to talk about what it means to know Jesus, would you come and talk to me today? God's spirit is with you and he's inviting you to trust him. For the rest of us, I just want to, I just want to encourage us, this, this altar will be open if you want to come and pray and you just want to say, God, I want to, I want to pray for more, immeasurably more, more, more love for you, more passion and zeal for you then just come and pray that really simple prayer. We don't always have to make it anything more than that, that we just are hungry for more of God. 